now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com, post-game podcast. Dewey Burke with me. Dewey, Carolina falls again, 62, or excuse me, 66 to 52 at Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, over the last week or so, folks have said rock bottom when they refer to the Clemson loss. And the way Carolina played in the first half of this one, I can't see anything other than that being another step down to an even deeper rock bottom. Your thoughts on on that? Because I think in the second half, things were a little better. But that first half, all around, just, just brutal Carolina basketball. It was. It was. And we, we hit these stretches where not only do we not score, but we don't even come close to getting what even feels like a quality shot. We turn the ball over like crazy. And then on the other end, it's layups and wide open threes. So it's it's hard when it seems like everything is going wrong in every facet of the game. You know, We're not out in transition at all. Uh, we allow the team to get high percentage looks from the perimeter. And they made six or seven threes in the first half and then had a ton of layups. And we can't get open looks and we don't get any layups. And then if we do get fouled and get the free throw line, we can't make them. So it's, uh, you know, there's so many places to to comment on on how poorly we played, as you said, especially in the first half. But I just I feel bad for the guys They're I think they're trying. They, they played harder in the second half and shoot, cut it to 10 and. Even then, if they could have made a couple plays, maybe it got interesting. But uh, they're just in a rut. They don't have a lot of confidence. And coach is trying different stuff, but just nothing's uh, nothing's working. I want to talk a little bit about that later in the show, um, some, the different stuff that you've seen uh, with this team the last few times. Let's, let's talk about try to find um, some rationale for what we saw for most of that first half. And for a large part of the second half, Sherelle McMillan talks about and gets ill when people talk about effort and, and says it's not an effort thing. That's not the correct way to do it. And if I'm misquoting Sherelle, he'll he'll get me back, and I apologize. But something to that effect. I mean, these kids want to win. They, they're trying and all. I just – when I see a free throw percentage below 50% from a major college or any level basketball, really, but definitely for a Carolina team, that introduces another element to me, Dewey. Maybe I'm making more of it than it is, but free throw shooting requires no talent, uh, but it does require focus. Uh, your thoughts on that aspect? Because if Carolina hits 17 of 21 or 18 of 21, maybe this game's a little different, but I just can't imagine that it's to that point that they shoot below 50%. That concerns me looking at this team play is is maybe this there's deeper issues than just a lack of talent well i think it's, they have no confidence tommy i mean there's what what do they draw on to have confidence in the ability to step to the line on the road and make free throws nothing i mean we just 
We've lost a ton of, ton of games this year. We've lost some heartbreaking ones, some blowouts, many different ways, a lot of injuries. They're obviously hearing about how poorly they're playing when they're on campus and on social media. And it, it, it affects no one more than the players themselves because you have to live with it. So in addition to being a lower talent team relative to what we typically have, I think you have a lot of kids that don't have confidence. You know, they're self-conscious about how they're playing and struggling in all as- aspects of the game. So something that seems so simple, like stepping the line and knocking down a couple free throws. You know, if it's in your head, if you, you know, you have that anxious feeling in the pit of your stomach because you, you're playing poorly and you look up and you're already down 20, it messes with you. So I think it's a confidence thing. I just, this team lacks confidence because they don't have, they don't have good things to draw on. It's an inexperienced group as far as really winning. I, mean, I know Garrison obviously was on the team last year that won a lot of games. B-Rob didn't play a whole heck of a lot. And then you look at the rest of the group, you know, what do they what do they draw on? I don't know specifically how many games Christian Keeling and Justin Pierce won, but they never played in the tournament, so they couldn't have won that much. So who on this roster, other than Garrison, has really won big-time games and can draw on that experience? And the answer is nobody. Uh, So I think we have a a crisis of talent and a crisis of confidence. Yeah, I thought, especially in the first half, when you saw Pittsburgh was just letting it fly and expected it to go in. Here we go again. You know, for us, you, you have to think they feel that way. It's like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, your thoughts on how Garrison played. I mean, he he was one of those guys that was bad at the free throw line and his head dropped a few times, especially in the second half. But, you know, I, I think if there's a bright spot, maybe, is it his play? Yeah, I think so. He's trying. I mean, he's trying. I think B-Rob's trying. Uh, after that, there's such a drop-off in, in production. Uh, I think Leakey's quite clearly playing out of position, but – there's no one else to give the ball to. You can't play Jeremiah 38 minutes. You know, he's not capable physically. So you've got to play Leaky at the point. We're getting absolutely nothing out of Playtech and both of our grad transfers who I, I it would appear are not able to play at this level. Um, so, yeah, sure. Garrison's definitely a bright spot. I mean, he's he's doing the best he can. And what do you have, 17 and 13, 16 and 13. So he's trying. I certainly could have shot better from the free throw line. That would have helped a lot. But even him, you can see it on his face. He's he's forlorn, right? He's he's struggling with this whole losing game after game after game because you know this being his third year, his first two years, we won a lot of games, and he played with a different type of kids. So it's hard. I don't, yeah, there's just not a lot of not a lot of positives. Talk about Johnny T-Shirt just for a minute. Johnny T-Shirt, of course, sponsors of this podcast, sponsors of the Inside Carolina family. They do a lot for our premium subscribers. You get 10% off your order if you're an Inside Carolina premium subscriber. Take advantage of it. Get all your gear. Spring football's coming up before you know it. Uh, still a lot of basketball games to be played, baseball, soccer, everything you need at Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street. Great place to visit. And also johnnytshirt.com. Great customer service all the way around. Get your 10% off if you're that premium subscriber at Inside Carolina. And you need to be because there's a lot of inside scoop going on with Sherelle and Don Callahan and everybody. And, of course, you get Ross Martin, Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, and everybody else's 
superb work. Great story on Theo Pinson on the website earlier this week. You need to check that out as well. Uh, Dewey, let's talk a little bit about, and I kind of mentioned it off the air, and it's on the message boards. And I know they're not the best place to visit, but it is interesting to me when I read them um, and see that a lot of people expect more out of Roy Williams with this bunch. Uh, Roy has beaten his head against the table during pressers, especially after the Clemson game. I want to ask your opinion, and I understand um, where you stand on Coach Williams, and I've said before, his record speaks for itself, but this season specifically, what else could he do to help this team win a few ball games? Well, I think I think he's trying things. He's trying different stuff. You saw a number of possessions in zone, and he put Justin Pierce at the three and played a bigger lineup, maybe hoping that we could do a little better on the backboard and find a way to score the ball with him on the perimeter. And he missed all the shots that he took. Uh, it's not his fault. That's just that's a factual statement that he shot three threes and missed them all. Um, we are playing differently just by the nature of the fact that we struggle to get stops. So almost the entirety of our offense is in the half court. And so they have run some different things. They've run some four out as opposed to the three out two in traditional motion that we run. And uh, it's been a while since we had Cole, but even with Cole, he was running some different stuff, a lot more high pick and rolls to take advantage of Cole's ability in those situations. We saw him, uh, really making plays, splitting a lot a lot of those high pick and rolls and getting into the paint to shoot or, or look for a teammate. So he has tried more different stuff than I think perhaps people give him credit for. But it's also hard. And remember, they started practicing in August and they've probably had 70 practices now. It's hard to all of a sudden just completely change how you play and expect your team to be able to implement major changes when it's an inexperienced group. So uh, I understand why people say that and they think that it's a hundred percent because of him that we're not playing better, but he he's tried a ton of different lineups, tried different sets, tried different defenses. We switched every screen uh, just in the first half, just to try something different, which I never remember doing when I was there. We saved those for late clock, late game situations. He's tried that to try to ignite our defense so he's tried a lot more things than, than people realize, which I've now said four times. Um, but I think the season's an adjustment for him too because it's a different caliber group than he's had before, which he said. So I think he'd say he's learning or trying to learn how to coach this group every day just as much as they're trying to figure out how to get a win somehow, some way in this conference. So it's, um, you know, people might say he's a Hall of Famer. What does he have to learn? I don't think that's fair. I mean, every every season you start over with your group and you learn each guy. And I think I've said this before, and he always said to us, he doesn't promise to treat everybody equally. He promises to treat everybody fairly. And fair to each player is different. And he has to learn that through practice and game situations. And who can he jump on and really yell at and they'll respond like he did when I played with Danny Green? Or who can he never yell at like Tyler because – Gosh, he's already given every ounce of effort he has. I'm not going to yell at him. I'm going to I'm going to speak to him when he needs to be coached in a in a level voice because God, if I yell at Tyler, he's going to be like, you know, almost uh, I don't know what's the right word. You wouldn't he taken aback because he's already trying so damn hard. 
that uh, that getting yelled at was not the way to coach him. So it's just a tough thing for everybody. They're they're struggling. They don't have confidence. They can't make shots. They can't get stops. And uh, you know, you score fifty two points in the, in a conference game. It feels like we're watching a different team from a different program. It- if you told me Carolina held Pitt to 23 points in the second half in any other lifetime, Carolina's blown them out at Pittsburgh. And that's, that speaks to the issues that this team has. What do you, what do you think about uh, the zone? They went a couple of possessions here against Pittsburgh. What, what do you think about that aspect of it? Um, can that be effective for this bunch in your opinion? Sure. I mean, they still, it, I think people think, oh, well, if you go zone, it, you know, that means uh, it's it's an easier defense to play. Well, no, it isn't. I mean, you still have responsibilities. You still have calls and communication you have to make. So the same issues we have in the man-to-man are going to rear themselves when we play zone. You know, if we, if we don't communicate well in man-to-man or talk on screens or help each other, and if you make those same mistakes in the zone, if anything, they get even more open looks from the perimeter. So – we played some good possessions in zone, but we also made some mistakes where guys didn't pass off their man correctly, didn't communicate when a shooter was running the baseline, whatever the case, and they still got open looks. I think when we got the game a little closer, they just missed shots uh, that they were making in the first half. You know, if you look at the stats and you see that Pitt shot the ball in uh, in the first half, they made six threes. Second half, they only made one. So they just didn't make as many shots. So you're, you might think that the zone looked better, but they should regress to the mean and they're not a very good shooting team, but they made a bunch of them in the first half when they got the big lead, which we can never come back from. So I'm sure he'll keep trying it and see if they can get better at it, practicing it. But uh, like I said, the issues you have defensively are going to be the same, whether it's man or zone. If you struggle on defense, it's for the same reasons. How, last question in this podcast, Carolina, of course, goes down 66-52 to Pittsburgh, fall under 500. Um, I, I think if you were watching on TV, they said it plenty since 2004. Um, how big a difference does a, a top flight elite point guard make in this offense? It with as this The way this team is constituted at this moment, how big a difference would that make? The biggest the biggest difference because we are incapable of shot creation right now. Every basket is so difficult to come by. And when you have a dynamic point guard like Cole, who not only can create his own shot, because right now we don't have any perimeter players that if you throw him the ball with six seconds on the shot clock can actually get a legitimately good look at the basket off the bounce because B-Rob can't, Leaky can't, none of the other guys can. But also a dynamic point guard, and we've talked about this, attracts the eyes of the rest of the defense. And as our roster is currently made up, as soon as Cole comes back, assuming he does, he will attract 10 eyes at all time, all times, which means that help defenders are a little bit closer to Cole and a little less close to their man, which means that catch and shoot, if Cole creates a shot, is that much more open. Uh, if Cole is making the post entry, they're going to hug Cole because they don't want him to get the open look. It makes that entry into Garrison and Mondo that much easier, and they're not going to double off of Cole like they were doubling off of guys today. So it it changes everything when you have somebody that's an elite uh, talent, has elite talent, and is a ball dominant player. We've seen it forever 
when we've had dynamic point guards, how it makes our offense flow. And without Cole, you, they talked about on the broadcast, four different starting point guards. Uh, I guess, well, I guess Cole's one of them. So three different starting point guards. And one's a freshman, hasn't played in two years. Another one isn't a point guard. And who would the other one be that started? KJ. And KJ, KJ. and who's, who's a, well, essentially a walk-on. So, you know, it's it's the, the head of the snake has been cut off. And uh, we're still an average to, to below average talent team with Cole. But his ability to create shots for others, create shots for himself, get into the paint, create space, it would be hugely, hugely beneficial just because of those inches that they have to creep in trying to stop him gets those open shots that much more open gives the post guys a little more room to operate. So, and he's really good defensively. Let's not forget that. I, you know, I think people, when they think of him back out there, they, they look at the Oregon game and early in the season and see how this team can compete with the best. I, I can't imagine the amount of pressure that's going to be on his shoulders when and if he comes back like like folks are expecting that that has to be incredible right yeah and not really fair right it's not it's not really fair that he's gonna have to wear that but i think he's up for it i mean the kid's an unbelievable competitor that's the thing that was coming out of the summer and early fall commentary from the coaches and coach himself was wow i mean i'm i'm impressed at how tough he is and he was winning conditioning drills as a true freshman those those things make you believe that he can handle it even if he's not that experienced at the college level his ability is is something that can get him by but i think he's got a mental approach that uh, is pretty advanced and uh, there's a toughness to him uh, that i think will help with that weight on his shoulders and he's not dumb he's been sitting over there for however many games next to the coaches listening to them struggle to find ways to get these guys to score and defend better and push the pace. And we're just not playing anything like we're used to. He's sitting there listening to all of it. And so he knows, he knows what it means when he comes back, all the things that he's going to be responsible for. And, and uh, especially if we don't win until he comes back, you know, he's going to be trying to break a big streak and help a team that's under 500 for the first time. And however, I don't even know when and all those kinds of things. So we'll see. He's made for that. I think uh, I think it'll be really interesting. I hope he does come back and stays healthy the rest of the way and, and can help us play a little better. That's Dewey Burke. I'm Tommy Ashley. You've been listening to the Inside Carolina postgame podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. We'll be back midweek, Carolina and Virginia Tech, I believe the 22nd in Blacksburg. Should be another tough road ACC ball game for this bunch of Tar Heels. Dewey, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. 
Subscribe to Point Forward the podcast so you don't miss a thing.